Well, good morning, Parkview. My name is Pastor Doug, and I am the campus pastor over at East Campus, and it's a joy for me to be able to be here. And let me just say, um, this morning, I was just reminded of Wade's announcement there about the Thanksgiving offering. I, I just want to thank you, church. It is one of my great joys in all of life to be a part of this church, to be a pastor at this church. It's a tremendous joy and a tremendous privilege that I do not take lightly. Thank you for being an amazing church that just gives constantly and generously. This has not been a, an easy year for any of us, um, but you would not know that by looking at the way you um, gave towards our Thanksgiving offering. So thank you. Um, one of the specific joys that I just love to be able to do with you is to be able to open God's word and to, to preach it. And so I would invite you, if you have a copy of, of God's Word with you this morning, to whether you're online or here in person, to take it out. Um, if it's not a Bible or on your phone, you will be greatly helped when the Word of God is preached if you are looking at it in your hand in some way, shape, or form. And so I'd invite you to turn to Isaiah. It's in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 40. And we're going to be looking at just the first five verses of this passage. And I'll just say this passage, Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 5, is precisely in God's providence what I needed to read this week. It is exactly what my heart needed to hear. God is so good. He is so kind to us. And Isaiah 40, verses 1 to 5, is a demonstration of God's kindness. I hope that you will be blessed by it this morning. So let me read. I'll read verses 1 through 5, and then I will pray for our time together. This is Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 5. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. Lord, you speak plainly and you speak clearly, and I pray that I would do that now. Lord, I pray that your word, which we believe to be eternal and true, Lord, we ask simply that you would take these truths, these eternal truths, Lord, and we ask that you would write them on our hearts Father, use these words this morning to form us as your people. We ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Have you ever received the promise of comfort, but a promise of comfort that was unable to deliver? Comfort promised, you didn't experience it. Several years ago, my wife and I were in the market for a new couch. We were looking for a new couch, and it's a, it's a tricky thing, right? If I, if I really want to test out a new, new couch, you know, odds are they're going to have to ask me to, to remove myself from the store. You know what I mean? I'm going to get overly comfortable in that couch. It's a lot of money. I want to know, can I guarantee that this couch is going to provide me the comfort that I'm purchasing it for, purchasing for it? So I'm going to test it out. 
Well, you can only do, you're limited in how you can do that in a store, right? So we sat, I mean, we sat on it. We tried to, you know, maintain our dignity the best we could as we tested out the couch in the store. Ended up pulling the trigger. We bought the couch, brought it home. Within a day, it was evident this couch was not comfortable. This couch was not comfortable. The greatest test for me is if I can fall asleep while I'm watching a movie, which usually happens within the first five minutes of that movie, and I can fall asleep and not wake up in, until the morning, then, then the couch has passed its test, right? Well, after falling asleep on this couch, it lasted just, you know, just a couple of hours, and I woke up, and I was teetering on the edge of the couch. The cushions were falling off of the couch. My neck was kinked. I was wildly uncomfortable. The couch had failed the test. The promise was of comfort, was not delivered. Maybe you can identify to that in some way, shape, or form. Maybe it's not a couch. Maybe it's a vacation, stay at a hotel. Maybe it's a pair of shoes that you see on a shelf that you are thinking are going to be comfortable. Comfort that's promised, but not delivered. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's some, something significant in your life. Folks, what we see in Isaiah 40 is that when God promises his people comfort, God always delivers on his word. Always. You can take it to the bank. He always delivers on his promise. Now, the reality of disappointment is something that we can all relate to on some level. In some level throughout our life, there's areas that we can look and we can see places where we have been disappointed the wonderful news about our God, the God that we worship here this morning today, is that we worship a God who never disappoints us. Never disappoints us. Chapter 40 in the book of Isaiah is really a turning point throughout this entire book. The first 39 chapters of the book were a message of confrontation. The prophet spoke to the people of Judah, and his message was primarily one of judgment and warning. Their sins would bring about God's judgment. Their rebellion, their corruption, their idolatry would come at a cost. God would use the great empires of the world around them as a means for this judgment. He would make that very clear. And to make it worse... These people are constantly ignoring Isaiah's warnings, time and time again, warning after warning. The Bible says, Isaiah says in chapter 6, that their hearts are dull to this warning, that their, their, their ears are heavy, and that their eyes are blind. They're not listening to the warning. Chapter 40, the entire book changes, it pivots. The message of confrontation turns to a message of comfort. This is a part of Isaiah where, where Isaiah looks into the future and is writing to Jews who have experienced firsthand the very judgment of God. Their home, their nation would be crushed by Babylon. They would be carried off into Babylonian exile. This would leave them feeling disappointed, defeated, and ultimately dislocated, not just from their land, but even from their God. This is how God would deal with their sins. A massive separation, not just from their land, but also from their God himself. There was a fracturing of what it meant to be the people of God. And while these things, will these things ever be, they're wondering, as they find themselves in exile, will life ever be as it was supposed to be, as it once was? 
They, they were tempted to look at their circumstances, to see sort of the life as it was around them, and to consider that they have lost everything. Consider that God was nowhere to be found. Where is God in this mess? Has he forgotten us? Has he abandoned us? I wonder if you can relate. Just as, as Wade was, Pastor Wade was up here talking. I mean, as we think back on this year itself, many of us can be tempted to draw the exact same conclusion. Right? It's interesting because I thought for years, as people were constantly talking about Vision 2020, the year 2020. I mean, in churches and corporations, you're like, what is a vision that, that is going to sort of epitomize 2020? And I guarantee you, nobody imagined this. I know I didn't. And so stepping back, luckily 2020 is almost over. And looking at our surroundings, if we are not careful, we can be tempted to draw the exact same conclusion that God has forgotten us, that God has abandoned us, that he has left us. What God says in Isaiah chapter 40 is utterly amazing and totally beautiful. What God says is this. I have not forgotten you. I have not forgotten you. I have not deserted you. And it's when you actually look your worst and you would think I would say, no thanks, I'll pass. It's precisely in that moment when I come to you. I have not forgotten you and I will not abandon you. The message of God to us this morning in Isaiah chapter 40 is exactly the message that we need to hear. God is with us. He's not forgotten us. He will not abandon us. As we go throughout these verses, I want to point out just two things. First of all is the promise that God gives us of comfort. We see this in the first couple of verses, the promise of comfort. The second thing I want to point out is the person of comfort. We'll see this in verses 3 through 5. So first of all, verses 1 to 2, the promise of comfort. This is a moment where God's people <clears throat> have endured about all that they can bear. The consequences of their sin do not exist as some sort of future threat, but rather reflects their living reality, their present moment. They've been brought to the very end of themselves, and it's in this moment that God speaks to them, and his message to them in Isaiah 40 can be summed up with one simple word, comfort, comfort. To those who are broken in their sin, exhausted and in need of rest, God's word is comfort. The first two words of the entire chapter of the chapter are repeated in dramatic fashion. Comfort, comfort. By comfort, the image is not that of one snuggled up in their favorite jammies, sipping on hot cocoa next to a toasty fire. Not the image that we're supposed to have. Rather, the idea of comfort is that God is declaring to them is something that is far more meaningful, something that is far more significant. Earlier this week, I came home from work just a little later than I normally do. And I had been home for just a few minutes, 
And I was standing in the kitchen talking to my wife. And after about 10 or 15 minutes of talking, our four-year-old, Noelle, came up to me. And this is, if you've met Noelle, this is not something that she would normally do. She is full of energy, full of, I mean, I, she's, she's a lot, okay, and a little body, all right? And she came up to me. I looked down after a few minutes of talking. I saw that she was standing next to me, and she was looking up at me. And she said these words. I, it's very rare that I hear these words. And they just, just melted me right away. She said, will you pick me up, Papa? And she had her arms reached up to me. And whatever I was doing in that moment didn't matter anymore. <laughs> you know, I love my wife. Don't get me wrong. But at that time, I, you know, I reached down, scooped her up, brought her into my arms. She threw her arms around my neck and rested her head on my shoulder. If I would have stood there, I mean, this just does not happen. She had been to the park earlier that day with her sister and her mom, and they were all day running around, just, just all sorts of excitement and energy, just all throughout the day, and she was exhausted. She was exhausted. And the, the possibility of rest, she saw in the comfort of my arms. So she did what she knew she needed to do. She asked to be picked up. And the strength and the security that my arms brought her in that moment caused her true rest. Within 30 minutes, she was asleep. That is the picture of comfort that the Lord offers us as his people. That is a picture of the comfort that God is pronouncing to the broken and the tired of the tired people who are longing for home, longing for rest. God's word comes to them and declares comfort, comfort. The kindness from the Lord is reinforced and explained in several different ways throughout the chapter. Listen to what it says afterwards. Comfort, comfort. My people says your God. God is clear. These, these are words that are intended, he says, for my people. And they are spoken by your God. The, the tone is no longer a tone of scornful accusation that we saw in Isaiah chapter 6 when he declares and commissions Isaiah and says, go and say to this people. This language is different. These are no longer this people. Now they are my people. This language is the language of a covenant. My people, says your God. Israel's sins were serious and they, they were brought about. They, they brought about God's punishment and his discipline. This, this is a people who are living in the judgment of God. Yet they should not fear that God will forget his promises to their ancestors because he won't. He's a faithful God who keeps his word and keeps his covenant. You are still my people, and I am still your God, he declares to them. He goes on and says, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. What an amazing statement. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Literally, speak tenderly to the heart of Jerusalem. And to speak to someone's heart is to, is to speak a word of encouragement a word of affection, which is designed to move someone who's, who's paralyzed by their circumstances of life to take heart and to believe and to be strengthened and encouraged. This is nothing but kindness from the Lord. 
You can be sure of that. Who is he speaking tenderly to? This is amazing. He's speaking tenderly to Jerusalem. In my Bible, I double underline the word Jerusalem. Where are these people when, he, when they're hearing these words? They're in Babylon. Where are they not? Jerusalem. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Even when they are, can you imagine being far away in exile and hearing these words? God calls them Jerusalem. He calls them Jerusalem. Brothers and sisters, this is no small thing. God is still identifying with these people as his people. Their God has not cast them off and forgotten about them. He still wants to be associated with them. He wants them to be identified with him. Sometimes maybe you've seen this happen in the context of a family. Sometimes when a, when a child does something foolish, it's common to hear one parent say to another, that's your child, Right? That's you. Maybe some of you have done that before. Sort of a, a joking sort of way of distancing yourself from the child's behavior. We, we, if, if we've had kids, we, we've probably all done that on some level. Well, guess who doesn't do that? God. God remains with his people. He identifies with his people. When you act foolish, when you find yourself fumbling your way through life, God is not ashamed of you. When you don't act like the people of God, he doesn't keep you at arm's length or cast you off. He still identifies with you. I mean, this is this gives us as his people reason to believe to receive the love he offers us. He goes on, her warfare has ended. Her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. What a promise. No more warfare. A time of peace is on the horizon. God will supply abundantly for his people. Atonement for their sins in double portion. Double, he says, for all of their sins. Do we sin? You bet. Do we deserve punishment for those sins? Absolutely. See Isaiah chapters 1 through 39, where God exposes the wicked corruptions and the failures of his people. He judges and disciplines his people because of their wickedness. But here in chapter 40, what we learn is that there is an end to the discipline of God. In fact, it is, it is in fact our sin that evokes the kind of tender mercies from God himself. Your failure, you at your very worst. That is precisely the ground that God's renewing comfort and tender mercies are most profoundly known. God comforts us. As a result of this comfort, we are no longer a people who just limp our way through life or like a, like a dog who's left just licking his wounds. And God stands far off. No, 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 no. We are a people who, who are comforted by God himself. We are a people who can have constant hope 
that tomorrow is always brighter, that the future, our better days as God's people are always ahead of us. He promises us comfort. Second thing we see in the next couple of verses is the promise of comfort. How does God accomplish this comfort? We see this second point in the person of comfort. The source of their comfort shouldn't be a surprise here is God himself. Our opportunity to have and experience real, true comfort has nothing to do with our ability to sort of pull it together on our own, right? To sort of figure things out, to, to, to muster up the strength that's needed. This is not some grand self-improvement plan. It's not some secret life hack. This is solely the work of God, the activity of the Lord. Look at verse 3. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Folks, God is coming to his people. The king is on his way. Israel's only hope is, is God somehow miraculously breaking into human history, invading their reality, bringing to them comfort right here and right now in a hope in a brighter future. That's the only hope they have is if God is the one who initiates it, if God is the one who invades. The image here is of God coming from a distant land out of the wilderness to rescue his people. The people are unable to, to help themselves, utterly, utterly dependent on someone else to get them out of the mess that they are in. They need a savior, someone outside of themselves who can help them, who can comfort them, who can ultimately save them. The, the reason God's people, disillusioned and depleted in a distant land, can take comfort is because God is coming to them. The king is coming. Can he be stopped? What, what hope and promise we read is, is there anything that can slow down or stop him? Some force outside that, that may that cause him to hesitate or, or slow down. Is there anything that we can do in and of ourselves that may, may cause him to say, oh, not that one. No thanks. Can this Savior, this God, this King, can he be stopped? Isaiah's answer is poetically and emphatically no. He's coming to save and you can't stop him. He will not be stopped. Look at what it says in verse 4. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. You know, we often like to drive out west. And when we go on a road trip, we think of like driving as like there's certain terrain certain states that we drive through where you really need to be alert you really I mean be alert always when you're driving right but there are some states that you especially need to be careful there are obstacles there are challenges you got to make sure your brakes are in good shape when you're going down big hills winding turns there are some states that are difficult to navigate and then there are some that are not Nebraska right for example I mean Nebraska may not be no offense I love no offense to anybody who's here from Nebraska, okay? But check it out. You can drive through Nebraska, and it's pretty much a straight shot, right? You, you don't need to worry about fueling up too often. There are, there's good stops as you're heading west through Nebraska. It's a straight shot. 
right? Not a lot of obstacles in the way. It's, it's, it's sort of like what it's going to be like when God comes to us, he says. There will be nothing that can stop him. There's no obstacles, no hills that are so high that he can't get to us. This is a prophecy that's ascribed in every gospel to John the, the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. John came to cry out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. John is, is not calling a group of civil engineers together to alter the physical topography of the ancient Near East. Not what he's doing calling for a leveling of hills or the filling of valleys. It's not what's going on here. Rather, he fulfilled this by proclaiming a simple message, and it's this, repent of your sins. Why? Because the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is here. His name is Jesus. John leveled the mountains by blasting away the self-righteous hypocrisy of the religious elite who thought they had zero need for a savior. They had it figured out. And he rose the valleys by giving hope to the wretched and the rejected who felt salvation was an impossibility for them. It's been said before that the message of the gospel disturbs the comfortable and comforts the disturbed. That's precisely what the coming of our king in Jesus does. There's no obstacle that he can't overcome. Nothing that can stand in his way. No barrier that he cannot tear down. He is coming. That's why the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 can say, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Can any of those things stop the love of God from invading your life? Paul's answer, his conclusion is, no, they can't. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, or anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Try as you might, when, when the King is coming, He will not be stopped. God has made up his mind. Nothing can stop him from loving his people and welcoming them into his embrace. He will, not be will be, he will not be stopped. God will accomplish his purposes. The, re the re direct result of God's coming we see in verse 5. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The revealing of God's glory is one of the primary themes in the book of Isaiah. Some 37 references throughout the book to the revelation of God's glory. Try as you might, we, read, we often try to reduce or to minimize his glory. God is resolved to magnify himself in our very eyes. I don't know if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, but I know I've seen lots of pictures the first time I went. I saw lots of pictures of it before, but, but no photograph, no image can really compare to just the, the majesty, the magnitude of this massive, massive canyon. Been there once, like, wow, blown away by how huge this thing is. Went back, you know, a couple years later, came back, and my memory still couldn't contain how large that canyon was. I mean, it is 
the Grand Canyon. It is huge. And our life as the people of God should be all about taking in and wondering at the magnitude of our God, how great and glorious He truly is. He is resolved to magnify Himself in our eyes. And His commitment to do this, His faithfulness to this promise, ultimately, people, is what Christmas is all about. God Himself becoming visible to us, bringing his presence to us, living among us. John 1 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The display of God's glory is nowhere more obvious to us than in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus himself. Paul says in Colossians 2.9, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That's who Jesus is. The fullness of God in flesh for us as people to behold the glory of God. What an amazing thing. I mean, as Isaiah writes these words, he's oftentimes when we think about what, what is happening in the prophets, it's, it's they're looking ahead sort of at a mountain range. And, and from their distance, if you ever look at a, at a mountain range from a distance, you see lots of hills and peaks, but you have no real way of understanding how far apart those different mountains are. And Isaiah writes these words, he's, he's glancing ahead into the future when God will fully reveal his glory to his people. Now, we on this side, sort of in one of those valleys in that mountain range, we've seen behind us Jesus come to earth. His glory has been manifest. We have beheld it. We've seen it. But we also know that there is coming another day when all of humanity, all of creation will be able to stare at the face of Jesus himself and see the radiance of his glory and they will be unable to deny it. And that for us as his people, that day is our great hope when we look back to the beginning of isaiah 40 it is clear that god this god of comfort who promises us comfort he will not disappoint us he will not disappoint us we see his faithfulness ultimately in the face of jesus so what do we do three quick things first of all simply Throw yourself in the arms of Jesus and never look back. We are tempted, as I said before, to, to determine his love and his faithfulness by our circumstances. But know this, if you are in Christ, he is never going to turn his back on you. Never. You are not defined ultimately by your circumstances. We are defined ultimately by our Jesus. Throw yourself into his arms, the one true comforter. Secondly, Pastor Wade mentioned this last week, and I would say it's a, it's a wonderful application of this text as well. I want you to consider, where do you look for comfort in this world? Where do you look for comfort 
in this world. This world off offers all sorts of promises, all sorts of, of options, places that you can run to to find comfort, to find satisfaction, to find true rest, to find meaning in life. And I want you to do some honest evaluation with yourself. Where are the places in your life that you are tempted to run to to find comfort? What, what are those places that you are tempted to find security and meaning and rest? They're constantly around us. And here's just what I want you to do. I want you to, one, openly and honestly evaluate that in your life. Where are you tempted outside of the Lord to find comfort? And number two, I want you to commit to sharing that with somebody else. It could be a spouse. It could be a friend. Somebody in a community group. It would be a wonderful thing to identify in a community group. Where am I tempted? I'm, I'm tempted to find comfort in sports. I'm tempted to find comfort in drinking. I'm tempted to find comfort in meaning in this relationship. Or maybe it's something you don't have that you're longing for. What is that thing? Share it with somebody else. Jesus offers us true comfort. Thirdly, I want to encourage you just this season. Well, not just this season. Hopefully this would be a practice that would really shape and, and define many aspects of our life. To proclaiming this comfort as well. You, you cannot read Isaiah chapter 40 and, and be blind. You cannot read it and not notice the emphasis on speech, on proclamation. Some 11 times words related to speech, just in the first couple of verses. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that the warfare is ended. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. You cannot read Isaiah chapter 40 and not notice the emphasis on speech, on speaking. The point is clear. This good news, the good news of the gospel is meant to be shared. It is meant to be spoken. It's meant to be proclaimed. And we as God's people are the ones who are supposed to be doing it. When, when Pastor Wade read at the beginning of the service, he read from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Listen to the verse, uh, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Our God is a God of not some comfort, of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction. The way he relates to us in our messy existence is he comes to us and offers his comfort. So that, I would underline that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we have received ourselves from God. The picture is that as God comforts us with a comfort that comes only from him, we receive that comfort and then we are to turn around and extend God's comfort to those around us to proclaim the good news of the gospel. That there is a promise of comfort and that Jesus is the person who delivers on that promise. What wonderful news for us today. We no longer have to be defined by our mess but by God's grace, by his love and kindness towards us. 
That's our reality right now. Right now. Church, would you stand as I close in prayer, if you're able? Father God, Lord, as we are here this morning, we recognize that we are a people who are in desperate, desperate need. Lord, as we just survey the land of our life, one thing is evident. We need help. Lord, we thank you that, that as we cry out to you and ask you for that help, Lord, just the truth this morning that we see in Isaiah 40, that we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Lord, that you are a God of comfort. Lord, and we thank you that you deal generously with your people. Help us to rest in that comfort, to receive it and rest in it this week. Lord, I pray that you would bless these people. Lord, that you would give them the strength to resist temptation, to, to, to be satisfied with place, with, in places that can never fully satisfy, Lord, but that they would find their, their true source of comfort and satisfaction in you and in you alone. We ask these things in your name. Amen.